Amen. Thank you so much for that, Alex. How can something so gruesome be so beautiful? Thanks, brother. There's nothing beautiful about the events of the cross but the reason why he did it. That's where the beauty is found. And only that perspective can be from those who are beneficiaries of the grace. Thank you so much for singing that. I'm excited to preach tonight. Go to Job chapter 1. I'm excited to preach because up until this point... In, in, in this series that we've been going through, just different characters that have been shattered, um, maybe you are of the company of Job, and you'll know what I mean by that here in just a second, but maybe up until this point, it hasn't necessarily hit home with you yet, and it's not directly applied to you, although we can always benefit from any time that the Word of God is opened. Maybe I haven't hit um, your... Uh, I haven't hit a chord with you, if I could say it that way. Let me just uh, say what we're doing tonight. This is uh, the fourth of six messages, so we've got this week and then two weeks after that, uh, that we'll be preaching in this series that I've entitled, Shattered, God Uses Broken People. Now you need to understand, and those of you who have been here with me, just bear with me for a second and catch everybody else up, or maybe you've been here and not been paying attention, wake up and let me catch you up as well. Uh, Shattered, when we think of shattered, we think of this, someone who has been through difficult trials and circumstances and dealt a bad hand, and God can still use them. Yes, he can, but what we've been developing and the angle that we have taken has been this, God only uses broken people. He only uses those who are of a shattered spirit. We've defined it this way, that shattered in the context in which we've been talking about uh, in this series is simply this, being stripped of your self-sufficiency and no longer living independently of God. That is a shattered or a contrite spirit. We borrowed that from Matthew 5, verse 3, and then also Isaiah 57, verse 17. By the way, come back next week. Come back next week because I'm, I'm excited to preach from the book of Isaiah and we're going to look at Isaiah's perspective in one of the most powerful scriptures in all of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and he begins to give this beautiful depiction of, of, of the prophecy of Jesus Christ. Uh, but he says something very interesting that we gloss over. Man, I'm getting into next week, but I'm just excited. I've been studying this week, uh, studying even this morning. The year that King Uzziah died. Well, who was Uzziah? That's important. Come back next week to find out. But nonetheless, tonight, we're going to be looking at the life of Job. And I'd like us to look at the life of Job. And can we cover all 47 chapters in the next 38 minutes? All four, we can do it. Start with verse number one of chapter number one. You're going to want to get your fingers handy. That way we can go through. We're going to progress through the life of Job. Job chapter number one. We'll just read a portion, then we'll pray. Bible says in Job chapter one and verse number one, who is Job? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Sounds a pretty good guy. Sounds like a pretty good guy. Verse 2, and there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great house. This guy is loaded. This guy had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of, of, of blessing. Uh, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east pretty good reputation and his sons went and feasted in their houses every one in uh, every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them verse 5 and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered offerings according to the number of them all for job said it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts this did job continually pause commercial This is a good testimony of a good parent. 
constantly making intercession for their children. This is just a quick reminder. We ought to be faithful to pray for our kids. Ought to be faithful daily. Uh, This did Job continually. Pray for your children. Verse number six. Now there was a day when the Son of God came to present themselves, uh, sons of God God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan uh, came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from uh, walking... And from walking up and down it, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man. God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath. And he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not uh, not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we're going to continue reading here in just a moment. And look at Job chapter 1 and 2 and all of the the book of Job. All 41 chapters. But just for a moment tonight. And this is why I'm so excited. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I'd like, like to talk to you about this subject in light of our series. And in light of the life of Job. When the hits keep coming. Ever feel that way before? When the hits keep coming, love, lean, and learn. When the hits keep coming, love, lean, and learn. Let's say a brief word of prayer and ask God's blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, pray that you'd be with us tonight as we quickly go through the life of this servant Job, a man that you uh, gave a great report to and a great reputation, that he loved you and that he feared you, Lord. And uh, we're going to see tonight that in spite of everything that happened in the life of Job, as it says in, in chapter number 1 and verse 21, that he did not sin and he didn't charge you foolishly. What a testimony. But what does that mean for us? What can we glean from the life of a man who saw the hits keep coming. Lord, pray that you'd speak to us tonight as you've spoken to me this week, and I pray that, I, I pray that this message would resonate with, I'm sure, the majority of people that are here, and that is people that are walking according to your will. What do we do when the hits keep coming? Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight in a very real way. Uh, I do pray that you'd be with the requests that were mentioned, and as, we, uh, as, as I mentioned before, I, I do want to make intercession for those who are not believers, who don't know of the hope of the gospel like we talked about Sunday morning. All those that are mentioned there in that blue box, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel with those people and more this month and that we'd be mindful that we are uh, to be, we're, we're to be soul winners, Lord, as, as Christians and as those who have called upon your name, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that we take that ministry very seriously. Lord, I pray that you'd be with tonight's message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for reading with me. I got this story that I'd like to read uh, to you for just a moment. There's a story of a construction worker who was injured on the job. He filed a claim with the insurance company and quickly received a phone call from the insurance company uh, uh, desiring more information regarding his claim. The reason behind their need for more information was due to two words that were written under the cause section of the incident reporting form, and those two words were as follows, poor planning. The insurance agent politely asked the man to simply explain in his own words what had taken place on the day of the accident. The man began to explain what happened. Well, you see, I am an amateur radio operator, and on the day of the incident, I was working on the top of an 80-foot radio tower. After many hours of strenuous labor, I realized that over the course of the day, and after many trips up and down the tower, I brought up about 300 pounds of equipment, tools, and spare hardware. 
I was very tired, you see, and I didn't want to go through the process of making several trips up and down the ladder, so I formulated a device using a large barrel, a pulley system, and some rope to help lower my equipment and supplies to the ground from the top of the tower. My plan was to fill the barrel with all of my belongings, take the end of the rope to the bottom of the tower, and begin lowering the barrel to the bottom using my weight to offset the weight of the barrels and the equipment. However, you'll notice that in section 11 of my report that I only weigh 152 pounds. Once I began to repel my equipment down the side of the tower, the weight of the supplies quickly jolted me upward towards the top of the tower. Unfortunately, due to the suddenness of the jolt, I did not have the presence of mind to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I ascended up the side of the tower at a rapid speed. You'll notice in section 12 of my report that in the vicinity of about 40 feet next to the tower, I met the barrel coming down. This explains my fractured skull and shattered collarbone. I'm so sorry to hear that, ma'am, said the agent. The man continues, as I continued in my ascension, not stopping until my fingers were two knuckles deep into the pulley system, thus explaining my broken fingers and fractured wrist. Fortunately, I was able to regain my presence of mind and hold on to the rope in spite of my immense pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel hit the ground at blistering speed, causing the bottom to fall out of the barrel. Void of the weight of the equipment, the barrel now only weighed approximately 20 pounds. I refer you again to section 11 of the incident reporting form that I only weigh 152 pounds. Of course, this began my rapid descent down the side of the tower. At approximately, 40, at, the, approximately at the 40 foot marker, I again met the barrel, thus explaining my two broken ankles and the lacerations of my lower body. I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am, said the agent. The man continues. The encounter with the barrel slowed my descent enough to lessen my injuries when I fell upon the pile of tools left behind by the empty barrel, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay on the tools in pain, unable to move, and watching the 20-pound barrel 80 feet above me, I again lost my presence of mind, and I let go of the rope, thus explaining why you keep calling me ma'am. How many of you had to settle for just a second and you had to think about it? I would say that if there was ever a man who has experienced what we're talking about tonight when the hits keep coming, it'd be that man right there. And I know that that's humorous, that's funny. Obviously, it's a fictional story, but how many of you have ever been through a season of life where you feel like that guy, where no matter what you do, it feels like the hits just keep coming? Over and over and over again, from every which angle, you'll go through entire seasons of your life, and it feels like with every single turn, there's another trial. And then you get things right, you get dusted off, and then there's another trial. And then you get up, and you, you turn the corner, and there's another trial. It feels like we go through entire seasons where nothing is going right, and the hits keep coming. And what's interesting to note about those situations in our life and no doubt in the lives of others is we would expect for it to happen in the lives of those who we think deserve it, but what about those who don't deserve it? I mean, what about those who are like Job, who are walking uprightly? What about those who are just? It rains on the just and the unjust. Why do, here's a popular statement, bad things happen to good people, or let's just bring it home and let's, 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 let's put it into, into a perspective that we would understand and say it even, even this way. Why do bad things happen to godly people? Do you know it does? 
Bad things happen to godly people. And knowing and understanding that, isn't it a perplexing thing to consider what, uh, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 18, we all know the verse. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. That's a preposition right there. In everything give thanks. When we read that verse, so often we read it into the context of this. We ought to give thanks for everything. Although we ought to do that, that's not what that verse says. You know what that verse has more to do with? Not with what you possess, but where you are in life. In everything give thanks. In every season of life, whether it's going good or whether it's going bad, whether there are trials or whether you're receiving blessing, in everything give thanks. Why? Because it's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You mean it's God's will for bad things to happen to godly people? That's what that verse says. And it doesn't just say that, but it says we're supposed to give thanks for it. But I'm also glad to tell you that the same person that said that, Paul, also said, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that are the called, uh, uh, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Be assured that there will be trials and difficulties that are going to come, and I love this, they come at the most inconvenient of times. It never happens when you're expecting it. It always happens when you least expect it. But aren't you thankful that that verse also, it gives the connotation and the context would be this, that it happens for us and although it's seemingly bad, it's for our good, for his glory. Why does it rain on the just and the unjust? Why do bad things happen to godly people? It's for our good and it's for God's glory. And as we get into the scene, uh, we've got Job and we're gonna go over the entire book of Job and let's just separate it right now. It's almost as though it's a drama and it's separated into three scenes or three sections, okay? And so look with me, if you would, in in, uh, verse number six, Satan is allowed access into the throne room of God and this is all introduction, okay? Satan is allowed uh, access into the throne room of God in verse number six. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them and the Lord said, unto Satan whence cometh thou and Satan answered and said unto the Lord and I won't take the time to read all but basically what he's saying is I have considered your servant Job I've tried to get to him but you've built a hedge of protection around him you've given him blessing you've given him all of these different things I can't have access to Job because of the hedge you've built around him pause for a moment there's safety in the center of God's will by the way notice that Satan cannot get to Job unless God gives him access that's a pretty safe place to be wouldn't you say But nonetheless, I want us to see Satan's response in verse number six. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance uh, is increased in thy hands. Here's what God is, or here's what Satan is telling God. Job, I guarantee you, mark it down. If you remove the element of protection and you take away Job's possessions, Job will curse you to your face. You know what he's, he's saying to God? Job is guilty of just having a because love. A because love. Because of my possessions. Because of my family. Because of the things that you've given me and all that I get to enjoy. Because of all those things, I love you. It is, uh, maybe uh, we would use it in this term, it is a conditional love. It's based on reciprocating that through blessing. It's based on reciprocating that through possessions and what God can give him. Take that element away, Job won't love you anymore, God. It's a because love. It's a because love. Uh, there was a story of a man and this woman, they got married and, and the woman was very wealthy, very, I mean, had lots of money and uh, bought a nice home and all these different things and one day they were arguing and I mean, it was just a knockdown, drag out. How many of you have ever had that? 
just me, good, good. Uh, it was a knockdown drag out and they were arguing with one another. And again, the woman was very wealthy. She had inherited all the money. And so she pulls this one out of her left pocket and says, uh, excuse me, it's because of my money that you live in this house. It's a conditional love. So looking at the life of Job, I, wa- I wonder what kind of element he's going to distribute in regards to his love for his father. Uh, again, there are three main scenes that I want us to notice, and it, it's almost as though they're acts in a drama. And the, again, this is not the uh, sermon. The sermon's really short, I promise. This is the introduction. But I want us to see the scenes that, that fo- unfold in the life of Job from chapter one to chapter number 42. If you're taking notes, the first thing that we notice is horrible situations. Horrible situations in the beginning of the uh, first, even the first two chapters of Job, you will see more things happen to this man, more bad things, more difficult situations, and seemingly undeserved bad circumstances, bad luck, if you will. You'll see it happen to Job more than anybody I've ever read in Scripture and definitely know personally. We'll read about them here in just a moment. That's the first thing. The opening scene would be that of a horrible situations. Horrible situations give way to, secondly, heavenly silence. Heavenly silence, we understand that Job is human, right? By the way, Job is the oldest book in human history. Uh, I forgot to mention that just a moment ago. And it's not just the oldest book in the Bible. It's, it's credited to be the oldest book in human history. You've got this man, Job, and he goes through all these different things. And Job is very much human. And Job, uh, I wouldn't condemn him necessarily for doing this because he's doing exactly what we would all do in that situation. After going through all the situations and the difficult trials he's gone through, he asks one question, why me? Why me? How many of us would not ask that question? He's, he's, again, he was an upright man and righteous and did right in the sight of the Lord. Why are all these bad things happen, happening to me? And it seems as though his cries fall on deaf ears. Heaven remains silent. That brings us to the third scene and it's the closing scene. It's happy success. Happy success, in spite of all that happens in the life of Job, we're gonna read at the end of Job in verse, uh, chapter number 42 that God gives him twice as, much as he had than, uh, uh, twice as much as he had in the beginning of Job's life. He gives him twice as much at the end of his life. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But I want us to understand and know this. He did not experience the blessing we'll read about in, ver- in chapter 42 without going through chapter one, the process of brokenness. Because we cannot experience, again, the product of blessedness without going through the process of brokenness. We've been developing that thought. Now, here's why I'm so excited to preach this tonight. And it is because, no doubt, what you're thinking, if you're paying attention and you've been paying attention in this series, and what I would even be thinking if I were you going into tonight's message is, hold on a second, I know one thing about Job. In verse number 21 of chapter one, we're gonna see that Job sinned not and charged not God foolishly. And he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job already had a meek and a contrite spirit. Job was already of a shattered spirit and a, a humble spirit. The reason I'm excited because this, this is gonna identify most of us in here tonight. I know most of you personally and I know that you would have the reputation as that of someone who is yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you are of a broken and a contrite spirit but what I wanna, want us to understand about Job and understand about ourselves is this. Brokenness and shatteredness is a continual process, not a one-time thing. That's an encouragement, yeah. Uh, you, you, you don't just receive brokenness and maybe difficult circumstances one time. You humble yourself before God. Okay, now I'm set for the rest of my life and for the rest of eternity. Now God's just gonna know and he's gonna leave me alone and I'm not gonna have to go through the trial and circumstances. Unfortunately, that's a fairy tale because it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to godly people. 
Again, you don't humble yourself just one time. It's a continual process. Job teaches us, here it is, to stay under the subjection of a humble spirit even when the hits keep coming. Job teaches us to stay uh, under, that, under that umbrella of humility even when the hits are coming from the left and from the right and from the back and from the front. Job teaches us to remain humble even when the hits keep coming. So a few things quickly that I want us to notice and they'll kind of directly relate to those three scenes that I just referenced here just a moment ago. Uh, horrible situations, heavenly silence, and a, uh, a happy success. Number one, I want us to notice this. During horrible situations, love your God. During horrible situations, love your God. I want us to look at verse number three of chapter two. Go there with me. Verse number three of chapter number two, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, excuse me, one who feareth God and escheweth evil. Look at this. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Now don't be confused, it's a, re it's a repeat of what God says to Satan in verse number one, but the second time that he says it, all, this, all these difficult trials and circumstances we'll go over here in just a moment had already taken place in Job's life, but what did God say about Job? Still he holdeth fast his integrity. You know what God is saying? In spite of my hand being pressed against Job, in spite of uh, me removing some of the elements of blessing, Job still loves me. Job still loves me few things I'd like us to notice of uh, these horrible situations. Letter A, if you're taking notes, I'm, I'm, gonna, be very, I'm gonna be very compartmentalized tonight. Number one is during uh, horrible situations, love your God. Letter A under that, I want you to write this down. His anguish. His anguish, Job's anguish. Uh, what did Job go through in those first two chapters, chapter one and chapter two? Number one, Job lost his capital. Job lost his capital, we won't read, but in verse 13 down through verse number 17, it talks about all those things that Job has that we read about, you know, the hundreds of cattle and the hundreds of she-asses and the nice house, all of those things, the capital that Job has, he lost, but I'll read you five words that take place at the beginning of verse number 13 that I want us to notice, and there was a day. One day, all these things are gone. One day, all of Job's monetary blessings were vanquished. Some of them were through natural disaster. Uh, some of them were through theft. But nonetheless, everything that Job possessed that made him the wealthiest man in the East were gone. He lost his capital, but that's nothing compared to the second thing he lost. He lost his children. Lost his children in verse number uh, 18. It says, while he was yet speaking. Pause for a moment. You'll see that that's gonna appear a couple more times. You know what that's telling us? Same day. Put yourself in Job's shoes. The exact same day. This happens. He's lost all of his capital possessions. He's lost all of his monetary blessings. And here's what happens. There came also another and said, thy son and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind by, uh, excuse me, wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Same day, Job loses all of his monetary possessions, all of his capital, but he also loses the lives of his children. So he loses his capital and his children. Number three, remember up until this point, God says you can touch his monetary possessions, you can touch everything around Job, but don't touch Job. And he did that. And everything that he took away from Job, you know what? Job cursed not God, nor charged God foolishly. He sinned not. And so God, uh, Satan comes to God once again and he says, yeah, he hasn't cursed you because you've been protecting him physically. 
So thirdly, Job lost this, his condition. He lost his condition. God says, okay, I'll remove that element of protection. That hedge is gonna be removed. You can have access, Satan, to Job physically, and here's what Satan does. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job and sore boils, excuse me, with sore boils uh, from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him, look at this. I want you to visualize with me. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down amongst the ashes. What ashes? The ashes of his burned ruins of nothingness and his family. And do you understand what he does? I'm not trying to be gruesome, I'm not trying to be gross, but he literally sits in the ashes of what were once his possessions in his family. He sits down in the ashes, his body is stricken with boils, he takes the posture and he begins to scrape the scabs, the dead skin and the pus from his body. Could it get any worse for Job? Job has lost his capital, he's lost all of his world, uh, earthly possessions, he's lost his children and now he's lost his health. It could not get any worse. Number four, Job lost his companions. Job lost his companions. Verse number nine, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. And, and I, I don't wanna condone what she said, but I also don't wanna condemn her because could you imagine all those things that Job lost, she lost. She lost those earthly possessions. She lost her children. Now she's lost the health of her husband. And we can condemn her for ha having such little faith, but if we were put in that position, I'm pretty sure that many of us would be guilty of saying the same thing. Here's what she's saying. Put an end to the misery, send us to heaven, curse God so we can die. I can't take it anymore. Loses the companionship of his wife, but also he loses the companionship of his friends. Job 19, in verse number 19, it says, all my inward friends adhor me, and they whom I loved are turned against me. Job's lost his capital. We started on such a beautiful note. Job, uh, again, he's got the reputation as the, someone who is uh, upright and righteous and right before God. But not only that, he has all of these great possessions, all the worldly possessions that anybody could have, but all of it vanquishes within a day. He loses, his, uh, he loses all that he has. He loses his children. He loses the companionship. He loses his health. I think we could agree that Job describes that of a man that experienced the hits coming from every angle. Just when, I don't kick a man when he's down. Man, Job was down and he, he received the kick after kick after kick. Hits kept coming from every single angle. Lost it all. That's his anguish. Letter B, I want you to write this down. What was Job's answer? His answer was this in verse number 20 of chapter one. He says, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and he began to blame God. He began to complain what does it say? He worshiped. Verse 21. And he said, naked came I, we all know this verse. Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. When the hits kept coming from every single angle, and when Job was given lemon after lemon after lemon by life, Job's reputation is this. He sinned not nor charged God foolishly. We could say it this way. His integrity was intact. That's what God said of him. He continued to love God. Job teaches us, number one, during horrible situations, love your God. Number two, during heavenly silence, lean on your God. During heavenly silence, lean on your God. Go to Job 13 with me. Job chapter number 13 and verse number 15. 
Bible says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Wow. Though he slay me, though who slay me? God. Who brought these infirmities upon, uh, uh, upon, upon uh, Job? It was God. God allowed these things to take place in Job's life. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him but I will maintain mine own ways before God. No matter how bad it got, got Job kept leaning on his father. When the hits kept coming from every angle, Job continued to trust in the one that had it all under control. But again, I wanna make reference to this. In spite of all that had taken place, Job was human. And Job brought himself to ask the question that we would all ask ourselves, and that is this, why me? Why me? I've walked uprightly, I've done what I was supposed to do. I've been of a meek and a contrite spirit. I've been of a shattered and a broken spirit. Why do these bad things keep happening to me? Verse number 23 and verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 23 and verse number one gives that exchange. Many times, as a matter of fact, we'll read this in a moment, but in 11 times at the beginning of Job's life, we find him asking God why. First time is in verse number one of chapter 23. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Verse three, look at this. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him. I will fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. You know what Job is saying right there? He's just simply asking the question, why? Why? Where can I find him? Where might I, where might I find him that I, I may come even to his seat? God, where are you? I'd like to ask you a question. Why are all these bad things happening to me? Why am I experiencing all of these bad things? And we read about God's answer in between verse number one and verse number two, and here it is. Oh, you missed it. It's, it's right here. Listen. Nothing. Silence. This man has been through some of the most difficult things we've ever seen recorded in scripture. And he asks the simple question, and that is this, why me? And the answer he gets from heaven is silence. Nothing. But I want us to see something that although God didn't give the answers that Job was looking for, he did give him something, and that was his presence. God gave him his presence and I'm kind of cheating a little bit because we'll read about that at the end of Job's life but we know this, that in all this, Job cursed not God, he sinned not and charged not God foolishly. He's inquiring of the Lord, asking why me? God gives him no answers. 11 times in the beginning of Job's life we see Job ask the question, why me? Why am I going through this? And heaven remains silent. But in all this he understood at the end of his life he could see the footprints that God was always there carrying Job, even when he was not able to hear him verbally, even when he inquired of the Lord and asked him why, and heaven seemed silent, he knew God's presence was there with Job. Job teaches us that horrible situations, and during horrible situations, love your God. And during heavenly silence, lean on your God. Job trusted him. Lastly, number three. During happy success, this is very important, during happy success, Learn from your God. During happy success, learn from your God. Uh, we come to that final scene 
in Job's life and go to Job 42. I want us to read this together. Job chapter number 42. We're gonna start reading here in verse number 10. All this has ensued. He's lost his capital. He's lost his children. we, We already built that. He's lost all of his monetary and physical possessions, his health, his family, his companionships. He's lost all of that. And by the way, it says in the beginning of Job chapter number two, God did it without cause. He allowed Satan to have access to Job, remove the element of protection, and it had nothing to do with Job's sin and infirmities. That's the difference, and I'm not saying Job was perfect, but that's the difference between this lesson and this message and the other ones that we've gone over is we've seen that the reason that God has to humble us sometimes is because we need humbling. But what do we do when the hits keep coming? What do we do when we always already have a meek and a contrite spirit? When we're walking in godliness, why do bad things happen to godly people? God provides seemingly, seemingly silence answers from heaven, but God provides his presence. And then we're gonna see what happens in Job's life. During happy success, learn from your God. Look at verse number 10, it says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all of his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintances, uh, acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they, uh, excuse me, they bemoaned him and comforted him all over, uh, excuse me, him over all the, look at this, over all the evil that who? The Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. Verse number 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of, Job's, uh, of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. And he had also seven sons and three daughters. Skip down to verse 16. After this, lived Job 140 years and saw his sons, excuse me, and his sons' sons even four generations. And we close the story of Job in verse 17. It says, so Job died being, a hundred, uh, excuse me, being old and full of days. I love that vocabulary, full of days. To put it in Disney terms, Job lived happily ever after. Job lived happily ever after, full of days. At the latter end of Job's life, God blesses Job twice as much as he blessed him in the beginning. Would any of us deny, though, that Job couldn't experience the product of blessedness without going through that path of brokenness? No. Job could not experience the product of blessedness that God had for him, which was twice as much as he had in the beginning, without going through that terrible process of brokenness, even though Job was already broken. God brought Job through these vigorous scenes of trials, heartache, and great loss But it was all for a purpose, and here it was, so that he could bless him twice as much as he did in the beginning. And really, we could learn something of God in the story of Job more so than we can learn of Job himself. The story of Job teaches us two things about God. Number one, it teaches us God is sovereign. God is sovereign. The story of Job is not about the condemnation of a shattered servant, but rather the book of Job is about the control of a sovereign savior. All throughout the book of Job, you'll find that although Job didn't even have, every, didn't have everything under control, God was not shaken by the chaos. Every turn, it seemed like the hits kept coming, but from the, how many of you ever heard the illustration of the chess player? I'm not gonna give the illustration of the chess player, but we understand that the master chess player is looking from above, and we don't understand every move that he makes, but he does. 
And when he's looking at the life of Job, he was not shaken by the chaos that ensued in the life of Job. Why? He caused it. Look at verse number 12, uh, 11. It says, um, and he comforted him over all, they comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. God was the one who allowed this to ensue. God was the one who brought this chaos into his life. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's in control. Teaches us that God is sovereign. Secondly, and I love this, it teaches us that God is sufficient. God is always enough. This is why I'm excited about preaching this. This portion here, we're almost done. When we think of the story of Job, and we think of maybe verses that come to mind, no doubt we think of verse 21 of chapter one where it says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of you uh, have heard that before in the life of Job? Verse 21, or verse 22, it says, in all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. How many of you think that statement when you think of Job? The greatest statement ever, ever uttered in scripture about this man Job is found at the end of his life at the beginning of chapter 42. Read it with me. Verse number one, then Job answered the Lord, and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld, uh, withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, look what he says, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Wow. You know what Job is saying? Things too wonderful for me. He's not referencing the blessings that God has just brought forth in his life, but he's referencing the chaos that just ensued in the previous 41 verses, 41 chapters. He's saying that those things were too wonderful for me to understand or comprehend. Verse four, here I beseech thee and I will speak and I will demand of thee and declare thou, uh, thou unto me. Verse five, this is so important, look at this. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. You know what that tells us? That tells us that Job understood and knew, I've heard it before, your presence was with me. I understood that even though the hits kept coming, that you were always with me. I understood that even when I called out and I could not see your hand moving, I knew that you were there. But now, looking back at my life, I see you. I see thee. What does he see? He sees that God is always enough. He saw that God was sovereign. He saw that God was always enough. He saw that God was sufficient. And he was there. And as I was studying this text, I thought of one of my favorite songs. And I had other illustrations I was gonna share, but because of time, I, I cut them out. They're personal illustrations of things that God has placed in my life. I've not had a hard life. But things that God has placed in my life where I felt like I was walking according to his will and he handed me a lemon. And something that I've realized is that sometimes bad things happen to godly people. And just because you've been broken once and just because you're of a contrite spirit one time doesn't mean that it's one and done. It's a continual process. And through the trials and circumstances in life uh, that I've been through, though minor, God gave me this song, it's by Greg Nelson, and here's the words of it, maybe you've heard it. It says, you have faced the mountains of desperation. You have climbed, you have fought, you have won. But this valley that lies coldly before you cast a shadow that you cannot overcome. And just when you thought you had it all together, you knew every verse to get you through. But this time, the shadow broke more than just your heart, and reciting all those verses just won't do. 
When answers aren't enough, there is Jesus. He is more than just an answer to your prayer. And your heart will find a safe and peaceful refuge. When answers aren't enough, he is there. Instead of asking why did it happen, think of where it can lead you from here. And as your pain is slowly easing, you can find a greater reason to live your life triumphant through the tears. When answers aren't enough, there is Jesus. He is more than just an answer to your prayer. And your heart will find a safe and peaceful refuge when answers aren't enough, he is there. What do you do in life when the hits keep coming? What do you do when you have the reputation of Job and you're seemingly righteous before the sight of God and he deals you another bad hand? He allows Satan to have access to you and your wealth. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's something like a loved one or a child. Why do bad things happen to godly people? Here's why. To keep us humble. To keep us under the umbrella of humility. And to remind us of this. That when horrible situations happen, we still must love God. When heaven seems silent, we can lean on his presence. And when God brings success, we must learn this truth, that he is sovereign and that he is sufficient and he's always enough. What do you do when the hits keep coming? Love, lean, and learn. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for speaking through scripture. Thank you for giving us the story of Job. If anything, it provides us an encouragement to know that sometimes, even though we do the right thing, and even though we live according to your will and to your word, that you bring situations in our lives that seem so unfair, and they seem to come at the most inconvenient of times. But you do so, one, because you're sovereign and we can't understand, but also you teach us something that we should be resting upon you and your sufficiency because you are enough. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight, that you'd be with us as we go our separate ways. And I I can think of many people in this room, even as I was studying and preparing, I thought of difficult circumstances that some people are going through that, humanly speaking, I don't think they deserve it, Lord. But you're doing so for a reason because you're in control, you're sovereign. And Lord, sometimes you bring difficult trials and circumstances into our life for no other reason than to just remind us that you are enough. Lord, speak to hearts tonight. Be with the requests that were mentioned. Pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand to your feet.